Open our lips, O Lord, that our mouths might continually sing your praise. Amen. It happened at a party, this first manifestation of Jesus. It happened at a party. It wasn't on some hilltop. It wasn't at the temple in Jerusalem. It wasn't even planned. Nothing premeditated. Jesus is just doing what people in villages do. They recognize moments of people's lives, and they're there with them for whatever chapter, whatever moment it is. And this one happens to be a really good one. His mother's invited, he's invited, his friends are invited. They're there with his friends celebrating this moment of their life, and it's a heck of a party. And we hear the story, and we realize that what's going on here isn't so much about Jesus. It's the story of a community. And it's the story of all of these persons who are part of this community taking their respective parts so that a piece of abundance beyond their imagination is suddenly manifest in their midst. It's about their community of relationships and their connections. So the story, you know it, you've heard it a million times. Jesus is at the wedding. He's there, he's dancing. He's having wine, he's having food with folks, and the wine starts to run out. And you remember from your um, summer vacation Bible school that a cardinal virtue of Jewish tradition is hospitality. You just don't run out of food and drink. And who knows who's alerted Mary? Someone's alerted Mary. And she comes to Jesus, and she says, the wine's running out, and he says, Woman, which actually is a very honoring title in that age. He's not just being cold and crass to her. He said, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? Now, that response would have gotten a great ear tug by my mama. <laughs> Amen. And there are folks who have, who have wondered about what that phrase of Jesus is what does this have to do with you and me? It is not my hour, is all about. And there are a lot of things that can be played in here, and it's always important to remember when we're hearing these Gospels that there are all kinds of layers. There's the actual story that took place. There's the evangelist editorial work to try to teach the church things. So we have phrases like, it's not my hour, which we know means the crucifixion. It's about water and wine and the cross. There's a whole thing about temple sacrifice that I won't even go into. There's also the notion of Jesus perhaps saying, Ma'am, if we start it now, we can't put it back in the bottle. Do you understand where this is going to go? And she probably thinks she does, but we will find out that she herself in the Gospel of Mark will finally come to Jesus at one point and say, it's going too far, we've got to take you home, where he says, who's my mother and my sister? Because even Mary, who got Gabriel's visit, who got the archangel, who got all that stuff, is going, this is getting crazy and out of hand, Jesus. And I'm sure after he said what he did, he went home and said, Mama, I told you. You open this stuff up, you can't control it. There's probably some internal fear of Jesus himself if he's truly a human being like us, like, do I really want to start this right now? After all, I'm at a doggone wedding, for gosh sakes. Can't say for Christ's sake, can you? It's Christ, Christ's sake. But I mean, think about the story. This is a celebration. And Jesus wasn't just sitting at some table going, I'm waiting for them to ask me a theological question. (laughs) I mean, think about it. 
he's at a Jewish line dance, and he's going, you know? I mean, I'm glad I can't get any further because it would be awful to watch. But that's what he's doing. He's dancing and celebrating. He's going, why are you interrupting me? Do we really want to go here? But Mary, you know what I wish we had is the video of the two of them and the eye contact of him being raised by her. And I think of my oldest brother who's a trial attorney and how my brother said he was arguing since the age of two and now he's just gotten people to pay him for it. It was never a moment he couldn't argue something, but Mary probably shot him one of those looks like, I know what you're going to say, just do it, like my mom does to my oldest brother. <laughs> Talk all you want, just make sure it gets done. So he goes to the steward, who has to be willing to engage this. Uh, what, uh, but somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of wine, right? So let's say 150 gallons of wine. Some of you are like Jack. You can do the calculation quick. I googled it. That's 750 bottles of wine. 750 bottles. As my New Testament professor said, that would have kept that village under the table for at least a week. (laughs) Right? It's at the celebration. Jesus is dancing. The steward participates. Somebody had to haul that water. That's not a small amount of water. People had to be willing to say, you think this is what we ought to do? Okay. All right. And the steward has to trust and do what he's saying and trust that when he takes this, that all those other jars are going to be just like the one they filled up and sampled. And so there's this whole community that's participating. It's not just about Jesus. It's people who chose to show up in relationship and pay attention. Nobody went there that day saying, I'm going to go do for somebody. They simply chose to be in relationship, to be present, and to see what needed to take place. That's the story. One of the things I hear from time to time during this koinonia process is like, when are we going to get on with it? When are we going to start doing stuff? And I get that. I mean, there is some due to this. I mean, just last week, did we not say that we would strive for justice and peace with all persons? That's a due thing. But the problem with our koinonia journey is that Jesus is doing what Jesus does. How many stories do we hear Jesus just taking the story and flipping it upside down? You've heard it said, but here's what's going on. And so this congregation did what a lot of resourced folks tend to do. We were so glad. Thank you, Jesus, for all the faithful servants that let us finish these doggone buildings. Oh, yeah, there is some drainage stuffed out, but don't worry about it. We'll worry on that. So as Kathy said, you and the vestry could think about beyond our walls. And so we did what we thought, let's find something and let's put our resources in it and let's find something we can do and let's listen about that. And Jesus said, oh, you want to listen, do you? And Jesus is flipping us on our heads because what you have heard is what we're having to wrestle with. I'm having to wrestle with at this age of my life that not only did I not get told the stories, but I never chose to look for them. I have never chosen to understand that I'm standing here in front of you with my college education because of the largest American program of white affirmative action ever done, which was called the GI Bill. Because my dad got an education in their first house and less than 5% of African-American veterans received those benefits because they couldn't buy homes in the neighborhoods that banks would approve. 
and they couldn't get into enough colleges because there weren't spaces. My dad, even with the Italian name, as I've joked, got in. And I'm sitting here with resources because America pumped in resources to white people. And I'll only say one more thing, because you, 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 we all, waking up white, wherever you want to go for these statistics, we know this isn't just something that is a ripple from 1865 and before. We've talked about redlining in the 1930s that affected two generations of people of color, where my family got to live in the Chicago suburbs where the values went up and the GI Bill cashed in nice, thank you. And the black folks and the colored folks of color, of brown, all kinds of colors in the city of Chicago were kept in neighborhoods with economics sucked out of them so that we have this gap in America. And lest we think even that stopped in 1968 with fair housing, we have the reports about the crash of 2008 that showed that this program set up to help people who didn't have access to wealth actually became one of the largest predatory practices in our country. And the percentage of people of color who lost their resources is vastly larger than white folks because the loans were predatory. Once again, 2008. And so now, since 2008, the gap of wealth between white folks, those people who are considered white, and people of color has grown even more and so we understand then when we as predominantly white folks go to a black neighborhood and said, we're here to help you. They've been receiving our help for 400 years. You know, if there's a little bit of dubiousness about we know, as Kathy said, what you need, we've got the resources, a lot of folks would look at us and say, and where did those resources come from? That's the stuff we're having to deal with. And so every time I get to stand up and break that bread with you, I have to go, what's coming now, Jesus? But the thing about that bread that we believe is that by breaking it, it becomes something larger. What we believe about this wedding of Cana story is that if we show up and are with folks, rather than go do for folks, that there's an abundance we can't even begin to imagine. But what it means is not just coming up with some programs, not just coming up with some stuff to do. What it means is we have to go travel to neighborhoods we don't typically travel in. I have to go get to know folks I don't typically get to know because between All Souls and Arden, where my house is, is where about 90% of my life exists, and it's a pretty white corridor. And so I have to go to neighborhoods. I have to go meet people that I don't have to meet if I don't want to. We as a congregation have to not just come up with something to do in a three to five year plan. What we are trying to dismantle is the narratives in my soul that said, Todd, I'm a blessed person and I go now share my blessings. Because I got to think about what my blessings are and where they came from. That's generational, as Brian said. We are having to dismantle narratives, let alone the structures of finances the structures of government, the structures of private enterprise. That takes time. That's going to be a long journey. And yes, there are things we can do in the meantime. We're not just going to sit around. That's crazy. But this koinonia thing has done what Jesus loves to do, just turn us on our head and say, can you trust me? 
Do you believe in Cana? Because what happened to Cana was that nobody got up that morning. No one called Jesus to do a healing or an exorcism. Nobody got up and said, let's go do something. They said, we're in a community and we live in a community and we share life in a community. And when things come up, because we already have relationship, we know how to work them. We're not thinking about what other people need. We're not saying, we know best, we have the most experience. We're not setting up boards even to this day where we say, we need the people who really know what's going on before we can, you know what, anyway. Sisters and brothers, there are 750 bottles of wine waiting for us. Ponder that. 750 bottles of wine waiting for us if we're willing to be uncomfortable. If we're willing to trust that truly things that are broken are the things that truly give life. That's what the story's about. Can you give your life one to another? Can you give your life to God? Can you become uncomfortable and trust that that's the very thing that will allow us to share the meals and to dance and to taste the wine?